0: Welcome to the Liberty Portal podcast by libertyportal.com, your gateway to a free society. On this show, we examine current events through a libertarian lens, seeking truth, cracking jokes, and providing you with better arguments to advocate for a freer world. The show is hosted by David Rand, political strategist and philosophy nerd, widely known as the devil of Montana politics. Henri Pellerin, Liberty Portal founder and editor, entrepreneur and fitness enthusiast. And myself, Joe Sheehan, filmmaker and liberty portal producer welcome back to the liberty portal podcast we have a huge news week to cover on this episode the covid lab leak theory has been supported officially by the department of energy the january 6th insurrection narrative is crumbling after tucker carlson releases footage from the capitol hill closed circuit television cameras the twitter files hearings convened on capitol hill as well and sparks flew between legislators and journalists. It was quite something to behold. And most recently, uh, the morning of the recording of this episode, um, Silicon Valley Bank has collapsed. It's been closed by the FDIC, put into receivership, bringing questions to bear about the potential contagion effects that might uh, result as a consequence of this bank going under. We've
1: got a lot to talk about. We've got the usual suspects in the house. Take it away, David. Hey, David Rand, political philosopher nerd, I guess, and uh definitely nerd. Be here. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely a nerd. And wearing your definitely nerd. Wearing your Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I had shirt. to buy this shirt when uh, uh Marvel Comics decided to portray Jordan Peterson as the Red Skull, and it oh. was too perfect. It was too perfect of an impulse buy like I was like, buy. Got to got to get it. He needs to have that at the official merch table because there's <laughs> yeah.
0: nothing nearly that cool oh, when I went so to cool. see him in Seattle. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm Henry Pellerin. I'm the founder, editor of LibertyPortal.com. Uh, investor, entrepreneur, and uh, your boy just got married. So, congratulations, uh-huh. buddy! You know, big life steps.
0: Big life steps. I was happy uh, to be there. It was a beautiful event from start to finish. And uh, New Orleans is a heck of a fun city. That's not how you say it. It's in in New Orleans, right? <laughs> Well, nah. if you're from there, I think that's
1: how you say it. <laughs> yeah. Am yeah. I offensive if I say it as a
2: outsider <laughs> As an outsider, I, I think the there is like this perception that somehow I think through like Hollywood, they had this idea to to perpetrate this lie that people say Nolans. And, yeah, well, I was in New Orleans. That's how everyone says
1: it there. In fact, I got corrected by my will, Uber driver. like, you're not saying it right. It's Nolens. I was like,
2: oh, yeah, I don't know. No? Okay, no. I, think I had you, the
1: wrong Uber driver,
2: I guess. I think you got
0: to be born and raised in the quarter to call it Nolens. Oh, got it. Got it. You
1: got to be from there.
0: Okay. <laughs> New Orleans, right? Yeah, New, New Orleans. Okay. New yeah. Orleans for okay. everyone at home.
1: New Orleans.
0: And on the ones and twos back here, we got DJ Kyle. What's up, Kyle?
1: Hey, what's going
3: on, guys? Glad to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, let's get into it. We got a ton of crazy news to cover. I mean, this feels like kind of a ceremonial 10th episode. Uh, We made it to 10. Congratulations, guys. Milestones. We brought no cake,
1: though. That's really a letdown.
0: We forgot the cake, Whoops! but we've got a collapsing bank and uh, imploding (laughs) trust in institutions to talk about. So what could be better? (laughs) Well, let's, let's talk about this bank thing because this is developing. It's a very new story. We don't have a ton of information, but as of this morning, it is being reported that Silicon Valley Bank has been closed by the FDIC. Um, they've, they've gone into receivership and uh, tons of their deposits uh, were uninsured, meaning people are going to lose a, a tremendous amount of money. It's, it's kind of a really crazy story. Henri, what have you heard about what's going on there this morning?
2: Uh, well, I mean, we're still very early in you know, this whole saga, but I, I, you know, what we have heard, you know, it's, it's the second largest bank uh failure in U.S. history. Uh, Janet Yellen is out there, while on the one hand telling everybody that the banking system is resilient, she's also telling House members she's warning them of economic collapse, and she's gathering the financial regulators to have a you know a sort of meeting to get their ducks in a row. Um, it does sort of feel like this could be the 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 beginning of the next big you know great financial collapse 2.0 I mean yet to be determined still very early in the game but you know one way or another depositors are going to lose a lot of money um either through just not getting their deposits back or this becoming the thing that sparks the next round of massive quantitative easing and and, and in which case we're all going to lose um, through, through inflation. Um, so that's, that's really kind of the, the, the long and short of it that I can see at the moment, but, you know, keep watching the story cause this, this could be, you know, the, this beginning of institutions losing trust and runs on banks and the things that we were talking about, uh, not too long ago with, you know, Austrian business cycle theory and, and how bubbles collapse, um, You know, we've, we've been, people like us have been sort of watching and waiting for when's the next shoe to drop. This could be it.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe to, to someone who pays attention to this sort of thing, this maybe isn't surprising. We could have kind of forecast this happening, but I think to most people who don't have their nose in, you know, finance blogs all day, this is pretty shocking. David, can you kind of make, make heads or tails of this for folks that maybe don't have a lot of financial knowledge like wh- how, how should people feel about this should they panic and run and grab all their money from the
1: bank or or not so FDIC is important but well, what what that is is really important to the story so FDIC is an insurance agency run by the government effectively that guarantees savings up to twenty five thousand is that right
2: I, was, I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think It's two hundred and Oh yeah, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. Forty so, million. Yeah.
1: I I've missed a zero. Yeah. <laughs> so the that says uh, up to that amount they'll insure it. The idea there, if you've ever seen, it's a wonderful life.
2: Yep.
1: Okay. Classic Christmas movie. You got to see it, Joe. Okay. I mean, it's it is, it is the, one of the best Christmas movies. You of can all mention time. you
0: can mention any movie, and it's likely that I haven't seen it. I'm just <laughs> not a
1: movie guy. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's sad. Yeah. Um, so, it's a wonderful life has this great scene that shows what. A bank run is like. Basically, you heard that the local bank doesn't have the mon- doesn't have your money. So you go and you try to get the money out, you try to be the first one there. There's a perverse effect of everyone kinda of, like this rumor mill that starts of an incentive to be the first one in to get your money out because the bank owes a hundred dollars but only has in any given time sixty dollars. It's cause of what's called fractional reserve banking.
0: And I, I wanna just jump in there and say that I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but currently there is no reserve requirement in the United States, is there? That's not true. So it, If it is, it's very much like 10%. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's it's lower than what our ideals would be, right? Um,
0: and for those that don't understand what that means, in order to loan out $100, a bank only needs to have $10 in cash in their reserves, right, electronic or
1: otherwise. to hand out at any given time, correct. Yeah. Uh, Most electronic reserve is a different phenomena, right? So there's overnight bank lending, where financial institutions go to the fed or other banks to get overnight funds in order to meet, you know, requests uh, for withdrawals. And I I don't really know a lot of the details of the story yet. We're still, we're still waiting on a lot of this stuff to be released. Is this just an accounting thing? Was it just over leveraged loans? Uh, What was it? And I think the suspicion is, is that being in Silicon Valley it's overly in the venture capital space and venture capital has been doing very poorly uh, because it's different. I mean, right now, it's hard to take big bets on new business startups, right? In this current regulatory environment, with this situation that we're at, with global, you know, public policy, uh, where do you invest? Where's reliable? Uh, the look at possibly new taxes, uh, a budget that's going to spend even more next year, the Biden administration just released a budget. Um, the, there's just, it's a very uncertain climate. So I, I'm not surprised that, Venture capitalists are struggling in this uh, current environment. So uh, getting back to kind of why this is important, the closure of the bank, uh, the the first step of the 2007 financial crisis, 2007, 2008, very late in 2007, uh, was Bear Stearns collapsing. And that happened in a very similar way. One day, everything was fine. All of a sudden, the entire world erupted as Bear Stearns, one of the larger financial institutions in America, was defunct. Um, and that was because it got released that hey these guys don't have what they say they have and they're not getting the revenue that that they should be getting in order to cover their liabilities. Um, if that's what's happened here, what happened in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and it has been a while, so I might not get the story exactly right, but effectively because what you when you said contagion, right? That's the important other word. The Bear Stearns had assets in other banks. Other banks had assets in Bear Stearns. Uh, they oftentimes shared mortgages across like a mortgage portfolio. And that, in, in that case, the the core problem was asset bubbles and in, in housing. We don't have that now. <laughs> uh, but the because all these mortgages were actually diced up and then sold to different banks, That the, a lot of those same problems as people couldn't afford to pay their mortgages when other, went to other banks and it spread throughout the system. Um, one of the, one of the better commentaries on this, of course, as, as almost as true with that is South park, <laughs> right? Where they have a moment on, on the bank bailouts when they have like this big circle with like a dot in the middle and a whole bunch of other selections of what the policy should be. And they cut off a head of a chicken and they throw it into the ring <laughs> and the chicken runs around till it dies. And it says, bail them out. And the like, borrow 10 billion from China or something like that. Is that the same episode as, and it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Right. <laughs> That's right. Right. So, uh, the, the, the policy response at the time was just, you know, dramatic panic, of course. And of course, George Bush got up and said, we have to uh, stop. We have to, in order to save capitalism, we have to violate some of its principles. Uh, kind of like in order to solve cancer, we have to make sure to give you lots of cancer, right? Uh, the, um, the interesting case that this will be is we are in a completely different regulatory environment now than we were in 2007 because of what's called Dodd-Frank. After the financial crisis, Dodd Frank, a senator uh came in and basically wrote this Two huge Senators tr- right yeah Dodd and Frank, yeah Dodd yeah. Yeah. Um, can not remember his first name Chris Dodd oh geez I, I anyways that. uh Senator Dodd Barney Frank <laughs> and Barney Frank uh, wrote uh, this financial regulation bill that um, essentially codified major bank bailouts into the into the regulatory scheme of the whole system, uh, so there's a uh of the feds. So, if that's enough systemic contagion. I uh, was Chris Dodd? I was right. All hey, right. Thank you. Kyle. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Nice. Oh, the system works. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so if there's enough contagion then they will bail out. Yeah, I then think.
1: then there's automatic bailouts built into code. That right. was that was that was there was a lot else that did. That was the one that I remember the the most um clearly out of out of Dodd Frank. There well, have been a couple other changes Republicans have taken against it that because, because, for example, it was heavily biased towards the largest institutions. The smaller banks have been crumbling ever since the financial crisis because of Dodd-Frank. Uh, there's a whole bunch of biases against smaller regional banks. That's why we have a bank consolidation that's happened over the last 10 years. Um, so it, beyond just buying up assets and larger capital, BlackRock's, you know, phenomena like that, there's also been a regulatory crackdown that's made it much more difficult to start new banks and for middle-sized banks to grow.
0: Yeah. Well, it looks like, you know, as one of the earlier updates uh, here in this article I'm I'm looking at points out, Janet Yellen in a hearing before the House uh, Ways and Means Committee today said that, quote, there are recent developments that concern a few banks that I'm monitoring very carefully. And when banks experience financial losses, it is and should be a matter of concern. So obviously, she's taking it very seriously, even though it's isolated for now, just like in 2008. As uh, illustrated by the big short, a movie I have seen mm. uh, it, you know it was contained as as you said she she says banks are resilient well, at the time they thought that the problems were only contained in subprime mortgages, but it appeared that it was much broader than that. It could be that in this case, the problems are much broader than we currently think, but we just don 't know yet. The one thing for sure is though that this is just another chink in the armor of trust in institutions, right? And I think that that's actually the theme of the show today because the other main points we have to look at are really, you know, surrounding that issue.
1: Yeah. So I I do think it would, this is a good opportunity to cast the vision of what an alternative banking system would look like. Oh, sure. Right. So our solution to the banking and finance problem isn't just to enable large banks to uh, take the heads off their investors more or uh, to bail them out, or any of those so that 's actually the opposite of our our vision. Our vision is one where your money has value in a price attached to it called the interest rate, and that interest rate set on the market to incentivize people to build what 's called a loanable savings market. So think about like this: as you work, you create surplus value and you put some of that money away in the inflationary environment we 're in that money 's constantly losing value, like we covered in one of the other episodes. Mm-hmm as we, in a market, everyone's putting it together into a larger pot, right? The It's not in just one place. It's spread out across all these things. But as people's preferences for consumption say, I want to consume in the future, so I'm going to spend less now. So I'm going to save that money. That means the interest rate changes based upon that. Because if the interest rate's relatively high, I'm going to have, I'm going to divert resources away from current consumption to future consumption. And if they're low, I'm going to make the opposite decision. Right. So
0: just to break that down for, for folks... If the interest rate is high, that means it's expensive to borrow. So you you may opt to save that money and earn that interest rate on the money that you're putting in the bank. Is that mm-hmm. sort of what you're explaining? Yeah. And there's and kind if, of- it's, if the interest rate is lower, then you would be incentivized to take out a loan, say to buy a house or something like that, more um, currently as opposed to wait. Right. Because so, interest rates might go up.
1: Right. So if you had a, a commodity-based or a competitive money system you would be in a situation where people are incentivized to draw out your loans out of the loanable savings fund, right? Rather than fractional reserve banking and the fiat system, which incentivizes you to make new money constantly and treat it as if it was actually had production behind it. Totally. So I think just to,
0: again, kind of translate a little bit, Mm -hmm. if like in the current environment that we've found ourselves in for the last 10 years, interest rates have been artificially low because the fed has kept them low which has produced uh, a lot of money out there, basically, or a lot of consumption, right? We haven't saved a ton of money as a country. And so what you're saying is, if I'm I'm interpreting it correctly, what we would prefer to see is a higher interest rate that's naturally set by the market, not artificially by the Fed, such that it would incentivize people to put money away and then we can make loans out of that that pool of saved capital instead of out of the sort of imaginary inflated pool of capital is that
1: about right yes and so and and what's important there like i was saying in that episode is that one is reliant on a signal about people who have taken a real thing production and put it aside versus making it out of thin air right
0: like just running the printing press or pressing keys on a keyboard to say we're gonna you know bail out this industry or bank or Mm -hmm. give
1: you a stimulus check out of nothing Mm -hmm. right And the problem with the printing press analogy is it makes people get the impression that it's literally dollars being printed and spent, as opposed to the fr- it's it's the problem's actually worse than that. It's not just the amount of money being created by the Fed, which is a problem. It's the collateral consequences of low interest rates that re incentivize behavior, and then additionally, when you add on top of that, the fractional reserve banking, which says, then like we said earlier, I I loan out a hundred dollars, but I only have ten dollars to back that up, right? In a loadable savings market, you loan out a hundred dollars because you have a hundred dollars <laughs> to back it up because that is that is actual assets that have been put aside in order to you know build a loanable savings market. Real valuable collateral. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, great. Um hopefully that makes sense to people. If it didn't make sense to you and you have other questions about it, drop us a comment below the video on YouTube. Um also Spotify has some cool uh question and answer features, so check us out there and And, you know, give us some feedback if things are, if we're explaining things well, we would love to know it. If we're not, we would also love to know it. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to unfuck the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes electric peak yerba mate, postbiotic sodas, keto friendly, ready to drink margaritas and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. Speaking of the declining faith in institutions, we got news early in the week that the COVID lab leak theory was supported in uh, an announcement or a release from the Department of Energy. What consequences does this have? We're three years beyond the start of the pandemic. What does this mean for us right now, Henri?
2: Uh, i mean it's no shock i think to to people like us you know we kind of all suspected i don't I, I, I don't know what the the actual truth of the matter is but it you know seems like the most likely uh explanation for for what happened and we saw people you know getting their uh social media accounts shut down and you know people trying to ruin people's careers over you know hypothesizing over this uh seemingly plausible narrative um so it's interesting to me that Anthony Fauci is
0: still out there denying it. Yeah. And and yet we have we we've had this sort of crumbling of this narrative over time. He's 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 hanging on to it very very firmly, but now we're ha- starting to have actual government departments, you know, coming out and saying, "Actually, we think that there's that there's potential here at very least, right?" And
1: maybe even more so in some cases. What do you think, David? I think it's pretty it's particularly interesting because the way Trump was pilloried on his way out for suggesting this might be true and tasking intelligence agencies to figure that out. Right. And they were like, how dare he? We all know it came from a wet market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we have not consensus, right? It's important to note no one says it's a bioweapon intentionally created and released. So we don't want to leap to that. A lot of people went, oh man, it's from China. It must be a bioweapon. That's just, that's just leaping to a conclusion without a lot of solid evidence. Yeah. But we do have the FBI. And the Department of Energy. It's weird that the Department of Energy has a particular case on this. It's yeah. interesting that they would have the resources or capability to investigate that, right? Uh, but, I mean, importantly, you know, it's not, it's not like they're not professionals. <laughs> you know, it's not right. like they're – it doesn't matter. And it is interesting that the FBI has for some time actually been out saying, well, this is, this is our, actually our conclusion. But we saw the CIA, Department of Homeland Security, and other agencies that either don't have a like a public position or that – also, no, it's, it's interesting to me that simultaneously we have all this secrecy in government, but we also have a situation where these agencies are disagreeing in a very public way. And that's a weird place to be, right? Because that's not normal. Usually everything's very monolithic uh, out of the government when it comes to major questions like this. Yeah, it's really what's curious to me as well. I
0: wonder why now is there new information that they're working on here that we didn't have sometime in the last three years? It doesn't seem like there is if, I mean, if, if they've cited something, I've missed it. Um, I mean, I don't, I think you're right Henri. I think folks like us who have maybe been looking at some of these alternative narratives outside of the legacy media would probably not be surprised by this news. I think the best take on it is, uh, John Stewart, when he was saying like, if there was an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near <laughs> Hershey, Pennsylvania, you wouldn't wonder if it came from the chocolate factory there. You know, it's like there's a there's a biolab in Wuhan and that's where a virus originated. Like, well, shoot, that's just
1: such an interesting coincidence. What's crazy is how important it is, right? Why this story is so big. It isn't just that it's it's interesting that the agencies disagree. There isn't just interesting that there's a left-right split here where the left really is bought into this, you know, wet market analogy or uh, argument where the right is more like, well, it's probably from the lab. Mm-hmm. And it's that... We funded the lab, right? Right. That we gave the the National Institute of Health gave money to Eco Health Alliance, who then gave money to Wuhan for gain of function research, and that was denied before Congress. He perjured himself publicly. He being Anthony Fauci, yes. And that supposed servant of the people, <laughs> uh, the appeared. highest paid servant of the people, <laughs> mind you. Yeah, supposedly person who's there to help our health. Moved money through a private organization in order to fund this lab. That lab was probably the leak. One of the interesting things was you say about why now. One of the more interesting argument more recently that really I think swung me in that favor because I was I'm always been more like I don't know uh, is the where the bat came from is not like in the hills right by Wuhan. It's hundreds of miles away. Yeah, right. A cave, so that a cave argument far away. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the cave. Originally was articulated as if it was close by and you just have, well, I mean, these, these Wuhan scientists also go to caves or something like that. Um, <laughs> well, there's, so, there's, there's yeah. some other
0: interesting thoughts here too. Like we're seeing tensions in the South China sea elevate. There's obviously conflict around Taiwan and this is definitely just speculation, but is there something to do with the elevating tensions with China being reason for substantiating this claim now as to sort of point paint China as a bad guy in this scenario and be able to tell the public, oh my gosh, we didn't know before, but we know now it was a lab leak and it's China's fault to sort of move public opinion in an even more adversarial way against mm.
1: against China as an enemy. Theoretically possible, but it's also interesting to know that even that narrative doesn't really work because not only were we funded it, we knew it was a bad lab from 2018. Oh, absolutely. The Intercept has department cables that say, hey, this is a problem going all the way, sorry, 2017, going all the way back then. So like this, it's outrageous that the State Department would simultaneously paint a false narrative, try to enforce that false narrative using their institutions on Twitter and 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 the corporatism there, and then switch back and try to use it to drum up the war machine for China. And then when all along they've had no accountability for our tax dollars going over there to fund gain of function research. Bottom line is they've in many ways at multiple
0: points in this story betrayed the trust of the American people, American taxpayers. And I would be hard pressed to have a lot of faith in this institution. If it were me, how do you feel about it? Henry?
2: I mean, I totally agree. I mean, how, how long have they known about this? Probably the entire time, you know, and it's not like they just found out about this, you know, as the story broke. Right. But imagine had, had they, had they come out and supported this narrative, 3 years ago how how differently public opinion would have been and how
0: differently the pandemic might have been handled as
2: a result. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well speaking
0: of things that have been known for a long time but are just now being released, we've got some really interesting footage coming out uh, regarding the January 6th insurrection. Um Tucker Carlson, you know, I think the mainstream media's most hated figure uh and also with the best ratings interestingly has released some video from the Capitol um, closed circuit camera network that really fundamentally undermines the narrative that the January 6th committee and most of the legacy media have been publishing and, and pushing for the last almost two years now, or I guess a little over two years. David, what were your thoughts seeing the stuff that you've seen
1: come out in the, in those videos? I've always felt insurrection was the wrong word for what happened, um, mostly because we live in America, right? And if you are to actually have a coup d'etat or insurrection of some kind, uh, it would include guns. You'd think. I would guess. Yeah. Right? So there was something that wasn't that, but that also wasn't a peaceful capital tour, right? There's somewhere in the middle there. Right? I mean, there how, There were
0: elements of both, I Right.
1: Say. And I think that the story that- You know, hey, that summer, a lot of violence happened. That was a very violent, crazy year. Uh, And a lot of that violence was described as mostly peaceful. I think it was probably less than a lot of that um, and probably more accurately directed at people who are actually responsible for a lot of suffering in America rather than McDonald's or Nike stores. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, I I, I think we don't want to... I would... I think it's a mistake to paint this as a, oh, it, there was no problem here, right? Mm-hmm. No one's saying that. Not even Tucker Carlson says no. that in a segment. Uh, and that's kind of like the straw man that the Senate has set up to attack Car- Carlson from. I forget who who said that from the Senate. It was the minority uh, Chuck, leader. Chuck Schumer. Or majority leader, Chuck Schumer. Yeah. Well, and to describe some of this stuff too, I mean, because if you
0: haven't seen the footage, it, it it is quite different from what you would hear. what What you heard was there's this, you know, horned, face-painted guy, the Q shaman, right, who broke through a window or a door and, and forced his way into the Senate chambers and, you know, was disrespecting the the hallowed halls of the Capitol and then you see this footage that's aired and and you see him literally very just placidly walking around with an escort of Capitol Police just, just like he was touring the Capitol. Mm-hmm. It was the most bizarre thing. They tried to open doors for him and get him in here or there, you know, to let him into the Senate chambers and then he went in there and then he thanked the police. I mean, there's a lot to be said for the mental stability or lack thereof of this gentleman, mm-hmm. you know, with the face paint and the horns. But Guys it certainly wasn't I mean, he does have style. That's true. <laughs> Probably Sorry. a pretty popular Halloween costume <laughs> that year if I had to imagine. Um, but it you know, it was it was it was crazy, but it was also very calm and it was not the like
1: violent thing that, that it's been painted to be. Yeah. Right? I mean, there was violence there. Well, oh, right. sure the question way. is, is what, how to interpret a complex phenomenon with lots of people into a single word. And it's something, but it's probably not an insurrection. The, and the, the even
0: more interesting thing here is that once this footage was released, which you think, oh, that's great, we're going to get some daylight shed on this very important issue in American history that a lot of people care a lot about. Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer on different sides of the aisle, but both part of the political establishment, come out saying how dangerous this is for this footage to be in front of the American people. Well, why why shouldn't, you know, what well, do you think of that? Why shouldn't the American people see this footage?
2: I, I mean I I think it's dangerous to their narrative. That's that's what they're that's why they're you know coming out and deciding you remember Kamala Harris came out and compared January sixth to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. And I mean it's, it's clearly nothing like that. I mean whatever whatever you want to say went down that day i mean it it was when they when they say it was an uh, an attack on our democracy it's it's just a way of weaponizing this to attack their um uh political opponents you know so yeah I, I that's why they're so up in arms about this and and you know projecting all this you know tucker carlson is a liar and you want to oh no keep going i just want uh, when you're done yeah no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh,
1: the, we're getting a new signal now. <laughs> uh, no, I've forgotten I was going to say. Oh, man, yeah, that killed yeah. me. Uh, one of the important parts of this is we don't know to what degree intelligence agencies were actually involved in what happened from the crowd's perspective. Right. Uh, great conversation, a uh, great interview, interview? That's not a right word. Committee hearing with mm. uh, Massey challenging the FBI how many FBI were actually involved. I can't say what's classified and what's not about FBI involvement here. And, and there is a resolution trying to move through. It's probably going to die in the Senate, probably, uh, that would declassify a lot of that information in order to get a grip on those very things. Not to mention the accusation that, you know, people, I can't figure what the word is, but people from an o- opposite ideological group donning the appearance of a Trump supporter and then committing violence. Right. And, Supposing that there might be Antifa members, for example, dressing up like
0: yeah. MAGA folks right. and then going and doing things under the banner of trump but really to sort of undermine them make them look you know violent. agent
1: provocateurs
0: correct that's the word
1: yeah. alex right. jones would be proud You <laughs> <that>. <laughs> but it's actually it's actually a thing um that uh was done in co Pro. yeah yeah we know that it was actually a policy of the fbi to make civil rights look bad well and to be was, an agent provocateur and we've spoken about
0: it multiple times i feel like on this podcast uh, with the whitmer kidnapping case and mm-hmm. a variety of others mm-hmm. you know having agents, you know, infiltrate movements, legitimate movements to do bad things and make them look violent. And that way they can discredit them and put people in prison. And that's the other devastating thing about this case is that there are still, I, I'm not even sure the total number of people, but probably at least a dozen or more people in jail being held with, without being charged for acts that they committed quote unquote during the January 6th, uh, riot, if you want to call it that protest. Um, and, and these people are being denied their due process as American citizens. And that is, that's a travesty. And that is the one thing, if I could say any action should come from this, it's use this bit of footage that's come out, that's cast doubt on the prevailing narrative to get those people out of jail, get them back into the the legitimate spotlight, put them in front of a jury do whatever you have to do to try them appropriately for whatever it is that they're being accused of, but accuse them of something in the first place and get them out of this black hole that they've shoved them mm-hmm.
1: into. Many of them in solitary confinement. Yes. Which is torture. It's literal torture. It violates the constitution to put someone in solitary confinement, much less without charge, much less without speedy due process. And they're in the nation's capital right now right.
0: being held in in jail cells in this country. Right. It's not like yeah. they're, they've been you know, rendition to some black site
1: somewhere. Right. And defending them and saying that they deserve constitutional rights doesn't mean we agree with what they did, right? They don't these, with, I don't agree with that. Some of these people literally didn't even go in the Capitol.
0: Yeah, right. Some of these people <laughs> right. may have stepped foot in, which, you know, if that's not something you're supposed to do, great, they messed up and they should yeah. be tried and mm-hmm. appropriately, you know, charged for, for their crimes. But some of these people didn't do anything. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, And I feel like this is being done and this is my opinion. I feel like it's being done to intimidate future potential protesters from taking part in these sorts of events because if there is a legitimate protest and you do feel like just by being a part of it you're going to be arrested and held without bail without charges for an indefinite amount of time which is now going on over two years that's going to chill a lot of uh, a lot of people who might otherwise stand up and speak their minds and take part in some of these events
2: yeah. Well, and I think, keep in mind, like this all occurred after a summer of, of rioting that was called mostly peaceful protest, wherein there was billions of dollars of economic damage to people's businesses and buildings and dozens of people were actually killed in those riots. And, you know, compared to, and then, uh, a very shady election outcome, which is kind of what people were there to protest in the first place, you know, uh, compared to a day when people walked into the Capitol and like a window was broken, one of the people who went in there was shot and killed. We were told that a officer was beaten to death with a, with a, uh, fire hydrant or fire extinguisher. And Joe Biden said five officers were, were killed that day, which is a total lie. Yeah, and, we, we, and we come and, to
0: find out that the guy who they thought was killed with the fire extinguisher was up and walking around and yeah, directing people. so that's people. one of the
2: things that that has come out from these videos that Tucker is, you know, covering is that we know that that the officer Sicknicky, is that his name? Sicknick, uh, yeah. Sicknick. Mm-hmm. We know that 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 narrative that he was beaten to death on that day is 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 a lie. We can confirm that with the videos. And yeah, so the, there were a lot of the people who were arrested during the, the riots during the summer were bailed out instantly. And we still have, you know, people who were at the Capitol building, you know, waiting for for their justice.
0: Who didn't harm anyone. Who didn't yeah. throw a single well, I
1: don't know. I don't know all of the
0: cases. They did but.
2: trespass, and they caused property damage, and they, and they
1: and they should they should pay a penalty for disobeying the law. If you believe we're a law of nations of and a republic, then that, and trespassing's a thing on the, on the federal capital, then that's fine. Should it be a definite
2: detention? No. <laughs> is it is it trespassing when you know officers lead you through the building? Like that's an interesting question, right?
1: right. I mean, but on the other side of it, they did. There are both videos of officers doing that, as well as people beating through and walking through broken down windows. Well, and the Uh, the story both both are true simultaneously. So it's like, Uh, what happened here? There isn't a single word for it. It should be a case by case situation, and because group guilt isn't a thing, individual guilt's a thing. So if you just say everyone's either guilty or I'm not trying to make that claim, I'm just saying if you committed trespass, then you should be held accountable. If you were invited in, I'm not, I'm not sure you should. Uh, but that's, that's a tricky question. If you were invited in, then you decided to go steal uh, what's her face's laptop, laptops. Uh, uh-huh. Nancy Pelosi's laptop or, 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 you know, grab some paraphernalia. That would be theft, that's, right? That's yeah. a crime. Exactly. So, I mean, like, I know it seems self evident, but we kind of lose our minds a little bit with these big kind of aggregate news stories that have such a strong narrative. And we kind of forget the, the, the underlying principle. Right.
0: Well, I think that one of the main underlying principles here as observers of this sort of stuff from the media is to maintain skepticism with anything that we hear from any outlet, legacy media, mainstream or, or alternative or otherwise. You just don't know unless you can see it with your own eyes. And sometimes even in those cases, it's hard to know mm. with the advent of deep fakes and all this sort of thing. Mm. It's, it's getting harder and harder to tell what the truth is.
1: I love watching Trump, Bill Clinton, Obama, and Joe Rogan play Minecraft together. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Enjoy really? It a lot. Yeah. You, need, you need to share that
3: <laughs> or dark souls or whatever. It's been share. all over my YouTube.
0: Page. It is
1: all over. Beautiful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've heard uh, Biden doing some rapping recently. That's been pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Deep fakes. It's a brave new world. I love it. It's true.
0: Thank God for Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, um, well, the Twitter files that came out uh, earlier this year and and, uh, last year uh, were, we just had a couple of the journalists that were responsible for releasing a lot of those files uh, called before Congress to participate in these hearings about, I guess, the validity of their research and their findings. And uh, it was as Kyle put it, some of the most compelling like C-SPAN style TV of maybe ever, maybe that I've ever witnessed. Kyle, I want to hear from you. What, what, what did you think the key takeaways were from, from that hearing?
3: I was thoroughly entertained. Um, it was some of the most fascinating television I've seen in a while. I particularly found it interesting how combative, both Matt Taibbi and Schellenberger were with the Congress people. Like they were joking, they were laughing, they were having a good time. It wasn't like anything I've ever seen in these types of hearings before. So it was kind of, it was, it was also particularly interesting to see the clips that end up going viral from it. And all of the clips that end up going viral are these congressmen asking questions that don't make sense. They don't know what they're talking about clearly. And it's like, clearly they're just being fed like talking points from their staffers right there and that 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 in particular is one of the most interesting things to me where it's like people it's kind of like what you were saying like the institutions are crumbling like the faith in the institutions are crumbling everybody's seeing that these people aren't actually good at their jobs they don't know what they're doing they don't know what they're talking about like these these people that are ruling us they're they're not good at any of this stuff it's like it's a white pill moment for me
0: that's awesome yeah i thought it was so fascinating how how some of them were how some of the the legislators were so sort of derogatory. And David, you made the point that, you know, when the Republicans convene this hearing, it's sort of the minority party's job to be just as combative and aggressive as possible and just undermine the credibility of the the people that are sitting in front of them. And that happens on both sides of the aisle. It's you know, not one sided. But just to hear you know, I believe it was um Stacy Plackett, I, I hope I'm not getting her name wrong. Uh, representative from the Virgin Islands actually, just you know, undermining uh, Matt Taibbi's cr- uh, credentials as a journalist, you know? And then he's like, excuse So-called journalist. So-called journalist, yeah. And then she was like, yeah, we've got, we had, you know, real reporting and real data from real journalists before, like when we looked into this before and like basically just calling him like a fraud. And he's like, excuse me, man, but like I've won the National Magazine Award. I've won this other award. I've published 10 books, four New York Times bestsellers. Like I, I-, I am a journalist, you know? Like th- that's what these guys are, but they were just so they were so demeaning to them and just calling them, what did they call them? Uh, Elon Musk's private scribes. I was like, damn, it's spicy. Dude. It was, it was really, it was funny. What'd you think Henri?
2: Yeah. I mean, they, they were, uh, you know, coming at them with all these, you know, qualifiers in their statements, so-called journalists, you know, hand-fed narrative from Elon Musk. And, you know, uh, I, I mean, it it, it they, ha- they had no leg to stand on. I, I guess we're, we're pulling up a, Ranking member Plaskett,
3: Um, I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the I.F. Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written written ten books, including four New York Times New York Times bestsellers.
1: What's a Substack? (laughs) Uh,
3: (laughs) I'm now at Time, was spent at Rolling Stone magazine.
2: Well, and let's remember, like what what the Twitter files revealed. You know, revealed that. The you know, federal government was pressuring social media companies and in particular Twitter to, you know, control the narrative, to censor people, to, you know, limit free speech. And, you know, with the, the Hunter Biden laptop, for example, like we know if, if that story had been more prominent, uh, people would have changed the way they voted. I mean, there's polling on that. Mm-hmm. And we might have had a different, you know, outcome to our election. I mean, some might say that they're threatening our democracy by, by doing this sort of thing, by doing which sort of thing, the Twitter files or the, Oh, Oh, the, precursor? But the, the, the federal government, you know, intervening to control the narrative, you know, to, to essentially get a different election outcome. Absolutely. You know, that, is, that is subverting the will of the people. Um, well, and their the
1: alliance uh, to defend democracy wouldn't do that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's and, in the and, name. And, and their, their, their outrage over it. They're, they're in, Indignation over this is—I mean, it's rich. You know, they're—they're the ones who are constantly talking about you know the right to free speech and we got to protect our democracy. It's—it's—it's again the 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 idea that you know whatever they they say that you're doing, they're they're actually doing behind the scenes. You know, they're constantly projecting. Yeah, hundred percent. So this isn't
1: new news. That's that's what's interesting to me is like this isn't. This is new news in that it applies to the internet, but this is old. Oh, yeah. This has existed forever. Uh, in, in Taibbi's opening statement, he notes the Alien and Sedition Acts from 19, from 1793. Do you want me to go out there and talk to that guy? Yeah, you for those of that? you listening,
0: you might be able to hear a uh, sawzall <laughs> ripping in the background. That's not my stomach growling. <laughs>
1: the neighbors do i do, should we go no talking? no 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 not a problem not a problem at you all that inside not right outside the door nope, no we're just gonna i will just... forge on okay so <laughs> it, it is, if is you 1789 can for you 1789 there we yeah, Or sorry 1798 i'm
3: 1798, dyslexic apparently.
1: yeah so 1798 alien and sedition acts basically says you can't say something untrue or mean <laughs> but untrue and mean about the president or congress And what that was was to to persecute the nationalist parties' opposition, the anti-federalists. It's been in their country's history the entire time. We wrote the First Amendment, and then two years later, we were like, oh, yeah, and by the way, you can't say untrue mean things. That's misinformation. Yep. Right? And then what's important is that Taibbi cites that they have three different kinds of things that they filter for. Misinformation, right, which is accidental uh, saying things untrue disinformation, which is intentionally misleading the audience. Uh, a good example of that is like telling people to vote the day after the election. Right, right. Some of that's just like a joke, mm-hmm. but other ones are like, prob- might actually be voter suppression. Efforts. Oh, sure. And third, malinformation. That's the term of art. That's the one that we're actually been talking about for a long time, which is information that doesn't fit the narrative. Mm-hmm. True things that might cause people to behave in ways that they don't want, such as the vaccine isn't effective for me would cause someone else to be vaccine hesitant. And so you have to suppress that because malinformation, because it wouldn't create the result that the public policymakers think it should. Now the question is, are we a Republic or not? Are we a free society where the people are in charge or do we need Congress or the FBI or the department of Homeland Security or he, he cites like ten other agencies that had a direct relationship feed in to send profiles and people to Twitter and Facebook and these. Additionally, they also in the most recent Twitter files also show how it was to other organizations too. PayPal, they don't mention Uber or Airbnb. Something we talked about a couple episodes ago. Yeah. And as t- and as much as every one of those agencies had twenty NGOs who were also feeding in, feeding information to these organizations, citing misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. So are we a society that needs that, or are we a society, do you value, one where people are actually in charge, where we have free speech, where people are able to say what they want without the government saying, that's malinformation, because it would create create a result that the elites don't want. That was something
3: that was interesting. Uh, Schellenberger's opening statement was, he quoted Eisenhower's military-industrial complex uh, quote, which... I'm sure most people have kind of heard of it's circulated through the um, populace over the last few years. But, uh, and then he basically said that we're outsourcing all of our censorship to be able to evade the first amendment uh, through a censorship industrial complex is effectively what he was saying is his main point.
0: Yeah. And and I think it's really interesting to, to those points that we have to make a decision as a populace, how we're going to handle news like this when it comes out. Do you simply dismiss it because it didn't come from the source that you most trust? Do you act on it in some way or try to create an environment in which we can start to bring some of these out of control agencies under control to pivot to a bit of our like white pill conversation, because this has been a very black pill episode, a lot of erosion of trust and institutions, how do we how do we approach the the exit from this how do we pull out of this tailspin that we seem to find ourselves in oof a singular thing
1: that does that no i think i think it's <laughs> going to have to be
0: a constellation of things right i mean everyone's going to have some small role to play i mean i think a big one is you know just doing a podcast like this is one thing that we can do to sort of try to change the narrative here it's so easy to just wallow in this kind of stuff mm. you know and to just get all riled up and kind of angry about it. And that's sort of like my general beef with guys like Tucker Carlson. I feel like they give their audience a lot of things to fret about and then don't really, there's never really any action component. Mm. And I feel like it's a, that's one thing I really enjoy about what we do here is we try to incorporate an action component. So what are, what are the action components involved in, in this variety of things? Is it seeking out alternative news sources? Is it, I mean, it's, it seems kind of, uh, Not very effective at times, perhaps, but writing to your congressmen and
1: women and state representatives, what do you think? I think, so not trusting elite institutions is probably a good thing. Having institutions you can trust are probably a good thing. I think for most people, the first step isn't writing your congressman or joining the Mises caucus or your Republican central committee or what your Democrat central, whatever, wherever you're at and whatever you believe, it's first to make sense of the world by incorporating your values and applying those values to the world around you to make it better. Right. And what I mean by incorporate your values, I mean like if you believe in openness and free speech, how do you actually lead your life that is open to other people's speech? Or are you closed and only consuming your information that fits your biases? Are you actively participating in the intellectual rigor of hearing out opposing viewpoints and considering it? Another one. If you believe that we can solve problems without the federal government in the middle and negotiating everything that's true, do you treat your relationships the same way? Uh, that you don't need a central planner, that you don't need to control everybody else. Uh, that you should operate by mutual benefit, not by dominion. If you incorporate your values first and get yourself in order with those values, it becomes far easier to interpret what's going on around you with some amount of sense-making. And that's what I see most as a problem for most people is they just see chaos, right? And there's a lot of chaos, right? And there's a lot of noise. But because they have no mental model, have I defined mental model before? Why don't you? Oh, okay so you have no what I mean by not having a mental model meaning you have no like downscaled resolution model smaller scale like a you know you got a big building on a tiny model for how the world is so where do prices come from right is like an idea of like okay what's your model for how the economy works mm-hmm. um why how do we understand what people prefer They're their actions right like basic premises like that um so starting out with that mental model of, I don't, have, I don't have a picture, a clear picture about how the world works because I've never had it integrated into a cohesive, a coherent philosophy. That's the first step. And I think the second step from there is once you get a grip on that and you can start interpreting the news with us, right? and hopefully that's what we are here to empower, is give people um, a lens for understanding what's going on around them so they can make sense of it so then they can spread the sense-making so that we have a bottom-up revolution of people who can hold account these sorts of things with a sense of history and a sense of perspective for what the aim should be. Does that help?
4: It, right.
0: I think That's so. Good. Absolutely. And I, I just want to ask a, a, a clarifying question there. If you feel like you, I guess, how do you know if you have a coherent worldview or philosophy, especially if you are currently existing inside of a paradigm where perhaps it isn't? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what is a coherent philosophy, if you could describe that.
1: So one of his is explanatory power, right? Um, One of the reasons that Austrian business cycle theory captured me was it explained a lot of phenomena in a way I could understand that um, didn't rely on me to compromise fundamental principles, right? Such as like you have to make things before you can consume them. (laughs)
4: <laughs> right that, that makes
1: sense. which is a, was one of the errors of Keynes, right is that mm. consumption is the cycle that actually turns well, no it's actually production says law yeah. um so yeah starting from base principles and then building on top of that a coherent theory of how the world works not explaining all human behavior but trying to explain the things that really count that matter uh, especially when it comes to politics and political philosophy your starting point is like when is it okay to use force and then do you use that in your own life um so I, I that's what I mean by corporation, and then coherence is when those principles are applied to the world, do they help explain it in a way that works, Right, that is consistent? And I'm not saying that that means that if we embrace a free society, everything will be utopian and all that kind of stuff. No, I'm just saying is on average, if, you, if people solve their own problems, it does better than a central planner solving that problem. And if you're like, okay, that's a very simple mental model of the world. Now, there's a lot of richness, you can dive deeper, but starting there, how does it apply to this story? How does it apply to that story and that and that's I mean, that's the process I use and hopefully you know by listening we can we can kind of spread that process around and I think that help will help more people feel like they're not in a crumbling situation at all times, powerless, needing to throw all of their support behind some political candidate who doesn't care about them and is there to represent the interests of Blackrock and northward Grumman right right so I what I hope is to empower individuals to be able to understand and sense, make of the world better by using the philosophy of liberty, liberty that better articulates and explains the world. I love it. That was beautiful. Thank you. Hey.
0: I'm going to put some really sweet music behind that <laughs> and put it up on social <laughs> so media too
1: long for almost all social media. I got to get brief. Sometimes it's
0: hard. I mean, it, many, many times it's hard to put, complex ideas into a short form Mm. we do our very best if you want to follow us we're on instagram tiktok twitter and share it please yeah share it around and that's another thing uh you mentioned malinformation uh i think this podcast would fit squarely into that category (laughs) and as a result the algorithms don't seem to favor us very much so if you are enjoying what you're hearing we do greatly benefit from every like comment and especially shares sending this directly to people you think would benefit from it means the world to us. Um, So just to get my little shameless plug in there. Uh, Do we want to respond to this here? I see we've got... uh, This was the
3: FBI clip.
0: Let's check it out. I love the FBI. We all do here. That was for the algorithm.
4: (laughs) The investigation from the beginning. Have you found that? I have not found anything like that. Um. All right. So let's talk about the FBI and what you told big tech or some agents did. About the authenticity and providence of Hunter Biden's laptop. What about that from an FBI perspective? The FBI does not it is is not in the business of functioning as the truth police. Understood. So we don't tell social media companies to censor anything. Well or the, the Twitter files suggest something different. I mean there was an FBI request numerous times, um Taibbi puts it out, FBI San Francisco requests to ban certain accounts. Uh, Twitter personnel in this case went on to look for reasons to suspend all four accounts that the FBI wanted to ban or, or suspend. Um, was it, Is it appropriate to flag social media accounts for on Twitter or elsewhere due to politics or uh, government policies when it comes to COVID? Uh, is it appropriate in any way? You're saying it doesn't happen, but there's evidence that it had. We don't tell social media companies to ban accounts but you suggest the work
2: games you know because this was uh adam schiff you know was on msnbc or some somewhere and he was saying you know the the twitter files don't provide evidence of any direct censorship coming from the fbi but it's You know, it's not exactly as if, you know, if you're if you own a business and and you get a letter from the FBI strongly suggesting you to do something like, what do you do? You know, like (laughs) it is
1: completely inappropriate to use an intelligence apparatus to to suggest that someone be banned. It's completely inappropriate. Yeah, Yeah. because I mean, if if this okay, so if the the FBI came to the New York Times and said, we're going to suggest that you do something. Yeah, the institution New York Times might say, "Ah, no, we have freedom of the press. But what does this Twitter user have in this case? They has no place in order to be able to say uh, no. Like they have zero agency in this situation. Yeah, he's playing a word game. He's saying request means it's voluntary, and and it is true. If you look at the Twitter files, sometimes they said no. You're wrong. We're not going to do that. That's not a Russian bot or something like that. Uh, additionally, but the Twitter files also say that after the FBI and the DOJ and other organizations didn't have their request fulfilled by Twitter, that they went to the New York Times and CNN and all these other media uh, traditional media outlets to then put pressure on Twitter to ban. I mean, think about that that is actions. It gets an individual a, a particular individual to silence them. That is censorship completely I'm not saying i'm what I'm not saying is that people have a right to use Twitter. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a public reform. Twitter Twitter is a human right. Twitter (laughs) is a private company that said it's completely inappropriate in a free society to have the government in that particular business he's saying he denies by requesting anything. It shouldn't be their job. They should be out catching murderers and and bad guys. They should not be doing this. They shouldn't exist at all. But they shouldn't be doing that (laughs) if they're going to exist at all. But we must sure, be crazy. <laughs> I mean, that word game right there is enraging.
3: I mean. <sighs> it, it is crazy because in the Twitter files, they're like, hey, uh, so we got like 270 accounts right here that may have violated your terms of service. You might want to look at it. Like, that's basically how they do it in the emails. Like, it's crazy.
1: Oh, one more thing. The, the, the Twitter files also mentioned that there's a, there's a revolving door between these agencies and Twitter itself. hmm that, that the a lot of people are going from this to, you know, intelligence agency employment-wise and then coming back and moving through. Uh, uh, ben Swan had a big uh, expose about how many people are former FBI, CIA, and other intelligence operations working at Facebook now just by looking at their freaking LinkedIn profile. I want to
0: say their head legal counsel was former FBI, went after Elon bought it, and he discovered this, or it was discovered, and mm-hmm. then he was promptly fired, but yeah,
1: it was, it was right Yeah. There. So is it a suggestion if the person that you're emailing it happens to be a former FBI agent? Right. I'm, come on. Well, I mean,
0: it's a collaborative environment. No one was ever saying that Twitter was having their arm twisted, right? I mean, they had people collaborating on the inside of Twitter with the FBI. It was that
1: well, obvious. And that's also the explanation. So so one of the parts of the Taibbi um, um, committee here that you touched on, but not completely, was that the, the the tactic of the Democrats was to accuse them of being partisan, right? And that how that formed, right, is because in 2020 the Republicans were the loudest voice saying, I'm being shadow banned. I'm not, you know, what happened to all my followers? Why can't I, uh, all the people who were banned, a lot of them seem to be uh, Republican. And we've always known it's been anyone outside the mainstream that's been banned, right? Democracy now and stuff like that, they get shadow banned. Uh, The kind of, the very left has a hard time. The anti-state left has a hard time uh, on Twitter too, or or was at the time. They, his first Twitter files, Taibbi's first Twitter files basically says, the the reason why that was so wasn't because that there's some ideological, you know, shibboleth at Twitter telling everybody that that's what they're trying to do. It was because that almost all the Twitter employees happen to be Democrats. Right. So they had all the best relationships with other Democrats who all, who the party system was, I mean, we've been talking so far about the, the uh, government apparatus, but the parties and the major candidates were also emailing oh, yeah. uh, Twitter saying, take down these guys. And it just so happens that the people with the best contacts happen to be the fellow Democrats. So, so that's why there was this partisan imbalance at that time and and maybe selection bias by the algorithm saying things about COVID was a problem built into the algorithm, stuff like that. But additionally to that, the, the banning phenomena was a result of just the nature of Silicon Valley, right? Of being mostly a Democrat blue place. Right. So I, 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 the, the fact that the Democrats then use that to say, well, you're just because Republicans are one complaining about this. That just makes you a partisan Republican, right? To undermine his credibility. It's horribly bad.
0: Well, and I mean, I think to look at Matt Taibbi's record as a journalist and what he's written about, I mean, you, it would be laughable to ever try to categorize him as any sort of right-leaning yeah, Republican. He's not exactly MAGA. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading some of his stuff in Rolling Stone. And I was like, wow, this guy is like pretty far left, you know? Yeah. So. Fascinating stuff. Um, I also want to say, I want to say one thing in terms of the white pill thing. I feel like a big thing that people, that we need to make clear because we do talk a lot about partisanship on this show and us and them. I do think that it's important that we all really step back for a second and and recognize that w- with all the people that we might bicker with politically who might be red or blue or otherwise, we we have way more in common than we do in like different. And a big part of the way that, these government agencies are able to manipulate and control people is by instilling this division, instilling fear of the other side and et cetera. Mm. So I think we do need to just recalibrate our awareness of who everybody is recognize that we're all humans. We're all in this together, right? Mm -hmm. The individuals, we, the individuals are facing these systems, these giant, you know, government agencies that are doing what they can to control the rest of us, and we need to be unified in that battle versus divided.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I mean by incorporating your mental model and your, your principles to yourself. It's one thing to say, I believe in individualism. It's another thing to actually treat people like individuals right? who are... It is one thing to say God-given rights. It's another thing to actually treat people with dignity, respect, and ability to not just be the stereotype you've made them, or not just be their ideas, to be individuals who are facing a complex world just like you, experiencing all the confusion that you experience and trying to deal with it. So I, I, I totally agree. That 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 step is the first step in doing everything else. If you skip that step and you just become a political animal, that's how you lose your sights. Right. That's how you lose who you are. Right. The first step is to integrate the philosophy with who you are first. Get yourself in order before you go out and start saying, okay, well, this is how we got to change you know, this is what individualism means. As Jordan Peterson would say, (laughs) clean your room before you go trying (laughs) to change the world, right? (laughs) I didn't realize I was quoting him right there. That's funny. Yeah. And I'm wearing the shirt.
2: Yeah. They want us divided because then we're easier to control. Yeah. And, and yeah, we have a lot more in common with one another. And yeah, within the, the libertarian space, even, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts is, you know, the people who are constantly more focused on infighting amongst themselves Rather than you know forming a, a a bigger nucleus, I mean, yeah, you
0: saw it in the uh, Rage Against the War Machine round. Absolutely, right? a lot of folks saying, "Oh, I can't, I can't work with this event because this X party or this X person is there, and I can't be associated with them." Or whatever. It's like, well, we need to reframe our perspective here and be willing to work with people across any most, I would say, most ideological and political divides uh, to. Advance issues and policies that are going to benefit everybody uh, where we can agree. So,
1: Absolutely. Frederick Douglass, most famous abolitionist ever, said, I will work with anyone to do good and no one to do wrong. Yeah. Very simple. I mean, if, if, if you only work with the people who agree with you 100%, you got no one to work with. So it, uh, another one that I like, it's a Reaganism. Uh, you win by addition, not attrition. Right bringing people in by selling your ideas in a way that's compelling and interesting. That's how you win. Not by saying you believe something slightly different and therefore you're a bad person or you've done something wrong in your past that you've paid a price for. And therefore you can never again have a stake or of having an opinion that I agree with. Right. And I can work with you on that. That's just silliness. It isn't, it isn't a, it isn't a way to build a movement that either abolish slavery like Frederick Douglass did or cut taxes like Reagan did. There you go. well, For those of you at home listening, your homework
0: this week is to go out and do good with someone.
2: There you go.
0: So I want to pivot really quick to this other story um, about the New York Times and uh, the Nord Stream 2 Pipeline saga that we've been covering over the last few episodes. We've got a
1: brand new narrative now uh, from the U.S. government. The New York Times came out and basically said, oh, well, that we talked to Anonymous... Oh, imagine that. uh, Officials of the United States government, and they said it was some pro-Ukrainian force. The Ukrainians, guess what they did? They denied it, of course. And uh, guess what all the material evidence was? What? Zero. They didn't describe anything about it. Seymour Hersh's reporting has far more falsifiable information than this stuff from the New York Times. It is absurd to say this is the actual record of account when you just say, uh, well, someone in the State Department said that this was, of course, that's what they would say. This isn't this. Now, this is misinformation. This I, I apologize. Disinformation. This is way worse than saying, oh, I don't know, lab leak on Twitter. I mean, it is absolutely absurd. I have this tweet here. If you, if
0: you mind, yeah. I read it really quick. So it's the New York Times tweets. Breaking news, a pro-Ukrainian group may have carried out the attack on the Nord Stream pipelines last year. Intelligence reviewed by U.S. officials suggested. And then in response to that, and I, I don't know if this is just their, their comment or an actual quote, it says CIA, CIA officials, quote, officials declined to disclose the nature of the intelligence, how it was obtained, or any details of the strength of the evidence it contains. And then the tweet goes on, but we're supposed to believe this isn't a smokescreen
1: after the CIA was credibly accused of orchestrating it. And that that, that is such, so absurd, falsifiable information should Trump, of course, saying, well, we think this is how it is. And you talked to two of us, so therefore it must be okay. Additionally, that was really great. What's the, what's the creme de la creme of the whole thing? (laughs) The the, the New York Times comes out and says, well, they used a cruise boat, but we don't have any evidence that that uh, a cruise boat that might be suspected was there because you can turn off the GIS systems mm. that allow you to track where boats are. Now, that is what... Okay, so the biggest challenge... The, why that's important is the biggest challenge of Seymour's claim is that during um, Baltrop's, that the boats that he says did the thing, the kinds of boats that he said weren't in the area to do that. And his claim is, well, the public information data systems that you rely on to confirm that can be changed by the intelligence agencies. Of right? course they can. They can turn it off. This New York Times specifically says, "Well, yeah, it isn't a cruise ship, but we could have so-called ghost ships." So they're using the same evidence that Seymour Hirsch. Well, used? no, they're 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 confirming that what Seymour Hirsch said that was well, that was basically pilloried. Why he shouldn't be taken seriously is that they can turn off these systems that allow you to track where the boats are. So they're using the same evidence he used only to make an an opposite claim. No, 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 no. They're not using the same evidence. So. Okay, so let me, let me I'm misunderstanding no, no, this because okay. you're saying Seymour Hershey was being challenged because he said the boats
0: that supposedly did it weren't in the area because there was no tracking data
1: there. Y- yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they, and, were, they just weren't close enough to do the thing. And
0: there. so the New York Times or these, you know, officials are saying that the reason those boats weren't in the area is because you can turn the information tracking where, off. Sorry, that's
1: where you got messed up because okay. it wasn't – they're not talking about the same boats. They're talking about a different boat. They think it was a private boat, like a, a cruise liner. Not uh, a cruise liner, like a a yacht. Like a pleasure that boat. That sort of thing. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Like a private individual. Gotcha. owned. That might have done it. And then when, you know, of course, trying to get confirmed information from the public resources, they're like, well, there was no, that boat was not there. And they're right. like, well, ghost ships. Therefore, Obviously. confirming that if they can do that with a private boat, of course they can do that and falsify information with public data systems. If you're the frickin' CIA and you got the NSA <laughs> at, your, at, at your fingertips, come I got on. You. I got you. So that, that's, that's the one of the better parts of that is it completely you know, justifies all the challenges uh, it, it annihilates all the, justi- all the challenges that Seymour's gotten on his story since it broke. Now, the challenge is from here is to corroborate the falsifiable information, the detailed, very, very detailed information that he gives in that story. With other people who are from the Navy diving school or, um, I don't know, participating in battle traps or something like that, other whistleblowers need to come forward in order to confirm elements of the story in order mm-hmm. to get this whole thing together. It's going to take time and good reporting to make happen. None of that is possible from this New York Times story. That's what I mean by falsifiable information. There's no way to follow up on this. It's just, trust us, bro. And right. that and that is that is way worse reporting than anything that Seymour's done in this space, because even if he's wrong, at least he gave you something falsifiable to prove wrong when you have this BS coming out of the State Department and through the New York Times. so I love it when you get fired up to drives me crazy. <laughs> I mean,
0: the, the degree of hubris and arrogance inherent in all of the stuff that we've talked about so far today is really shocking. I mean, it's like they just expect that people are just stupid or lazy or busy or don't care, aren't going to pay attention, aren't going to follow up, aren't going to challenge things. They just expect that we're just, I don't know, just not paying attention apparently so they can just do and say whatever they want and we'll just eat it up.
1: Well, and what's, what's so crazy here is that even in that article, they don't mention the implications of what it would mean if, the, if you know, Seymour was right, which is that we literally are attacking a member of Article 5 of NATO. Infrastructure owned partially, at least, by Germany. By Germany, to service Germans, right? That is nuts. And, and uh, of course, all this all this leads to the, the ending of the unipolar moment, right, which is just crumbling all the way around us. All the stuff that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, every one of these things, U.S. hegemony, meaning U.S. global dominance, militarily, industrially, financially, all those kind of things, it's coming to an end, potentially. And uh, that's
0: what you mean by the unipolar moment, the U.S. being this sort of, megalith within the, glo- the geopolitical right. global sphere.
1: Right, and this is something that's been talked about in foreign policy circles forever, right? It just never gets into the mainstream because you don't want to give people the sense that, you know, America's not the best. Uh, and, and, and America can still be great while not being the global hegemon. That's the important part of that. And, and additionally, that same thing, news came out just, to, uh, just today, actually, that China brokered a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. to, to normalize relations. That's huge. Mm-hmm. What that demonstrates is that America is not the only one who can broker a peace, peace deal in the Middle East. Very important. Yeah. So, I mean, and then what that means is there's a larger and larger wedge. You don't have to depend on America for good things to happen in the world. The, the, America's a you know, global instability machine, not a global stil- stability machine. And then that is why they can't have Seymour's story be confirmed. That's why it has to be ignored by the mainstream press, because it would undermine that. That's the real question, the real threat uh from the perspective of the State Department and, you know, the the Beltway people that are most concerned about this. Hmm. Wow. I think that's where we end it today, guys.
0: Thanks so much for your time. Kyle, appreciate you.
2: Thank you, guys. One thing to add, uh, just going back to the the SVB story, since that is I think going to evolve into a bigger scenario. Um, just a resource. Uh, Tom Woods's meltdown is a great uh, sort of all the things that David was saying. If that seemed interesting, but maybe a little you know hard to uh, sift through, I would I would recommend that book. It really breaks it down. Uh, kind of this vision for how does a free market banking system how's it supposed to work? And-
0: we'll throw that in the show notes. Thanks, Henry. Appreciate your yep. insight today.
2: Thank you, Joe. You
3: can probably get that on libertyportal.com.
2: Right? Absolutely. <laughs> You bet your (laughs) bibby.
0: Thanks, everybody. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Later,
0: guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Liberty Portal podcast. For more episodes, news, and Liberty-focused content, visit libertyportal.com, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you heard on the show, we appreciate you sharing it with your friends and giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice.